Hello. I think we're going to talk about another version of hindsight. We already did early childhood, but what about before you knew your child had a diagnosis? Okay, that'll be the focus during this session. I've got a lot of pictures. They look so happy and joyous and regular and normal. But I know dang well that there was a lot of pain in the infertility, pain in a lousy marriage. Eventually I had a C-section for John also. I'm a slow healer, I'm a slow methylator. The sleep was, was hard, the nursing was hard. Um, so anyway, it, it's, you, you see happy pictures, right? But there's always stories behind um, when the camera's not running. So let's just talk a little bit about some of these pictures, the pros and the cons. If I had to go back and do it all over again, what would I know now by what I see in the pictures? I didn't know back then, all right? Um, like for example, uh, the, the kids, both kids, um, like to be really tightly wrapped. And so not knowing any different, I didn't let them stretch and roll as much as I should have. And I tried to, to cloister them when they were sleeping. So I actually would put the car seat, the portable car seat in the crib and let them, when I should have put them on their stomach and let them kind of flail around. So I know I messed up their proprioceptive and vestibular, their motor function. They were both C-section, so that kind of put them at a sensory disadvantage. John came out early. That was a disadvantage, but I didn't know it at the time. He had a lower uh, APGAR, um, and uh, so we had definitely immune systems with him. Um, I should have not used any kind of a walker, used the snuggly less, uh, should have let them crawl around more, uh, probably not have padded the living room so well. I was kind of uber patter, you know, um, making sure your kid didn't fall down and didn't hurt themselves. And anyway, um, stairs and all that, lots of gates, should have pushed them on more adventuresome uh, uh, physical boundaries when they were young. So, um, okay, so let's take a look here at this first picture. Here's the 4D or three-dimensional in the utero, right? Looks kind of like John. Um, I actually was looking for the photograph of when he was, prior to this, when the cells were dividing. Because John ended up, uh, at, well, John started as an egg donor. So it was a double-blind egg donor. I was 48 and desperate for a second kid. Uh, the uh, um, physical um, examination, the, my body was a good machine. The doctor said, great, but you're going to have to do a different egg. So then there was the double-blind process of getting an egg donor and then still doing everything in vitro. So those of you who were so have been through all of that, you know what I'm talking about, shots and waiting and highs and lows. And, and our pastor talked about this today at service. Um, so it's kind of heavy on my mind. I was looking back for pictures and memories and things to share. So if you're sitting there or standing there or laying there pregnant, um, maybe some ideas. Nothing to scare you, but um, again, hindsight, man, it's 2020, right? So here was John, um, uh, uh, Pet uh, 
C-section, so um, but also in vitro and with an egg donor. So all of that stuff was done in a Petri dish. They plunked them into me with several others. I only got one to take each time. So both of my kids, they would put in several and we got singletons. Ironically, they'll counsel you on reduction as soon as, soon as they put in three or four. Uh, we never, I never had to face that bridge. So um, anyway, uh, but I was not a high risk doc, uh, high risk patient second pregnancy because it wasn't an older egg. It's a 33 year old egg instead of a 48 year old egg. There also was so much stress from codependency. I hope you don't have that in your life, but at least if you think you do, read up on it so you know how to start pulling yourself up on that. Okay, please promise me that. Um, alrighty, so the next picture then is going to be at delivery. So there's a C-section. Um, I was awake and uh, little did I know that it was going to be miserable, uh, but fast two days in the hospital. My normal doctor had gone on vacation and they had some other um, substitute in there that had no compassion. It was a guy, he didn't know anything. Slow healer me and oh God, so much pain from slow, from the stitches. And then uh, I'm nursing the kid, right? And uh, so you're up and down and up and down and then you're, um, it was really hard to heal and sleeping is hard. You know what they say, right? When you're nursing your child is to make sure you smile. And I should have gotten more help. So please consider getting extra help. Don't try to be superwoman. Um, I did some things during uh, the, with both kids in their very early times of nursing that I uh, shouldn't have done. I should have gotten more help. I think that goes back to my fault in a really very bad marriage. Um, but Anyway, so anyway, there's John um, coming out of the uh, <laughs> of the goo. Um, then we have a few pictures here where it was all so um, surreal. There was the pain of the mom stuff and the dark of the night when it hurt the most. But during the day, you know that 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 mother chemicals kind of stuff kicks in, all the endorphins and the um, uh, oh, there's other chemicals like that help us really connect, right? Oxytocin's one of them, estrogen. And um, you just, you can't believe you got this little kid. And then, so it was, um, so Saxton, when uh, he, um, he was younger, got a chance to play with the kid. So there you see some early pictures of John. Now, back then, there was no indication at all that he was going to be developmentally delayed. Um, he, he came out early, but that, I didn't know what that meant as far as the immune system. He had not started walking, so we didn't have that. He was slow to walk. We would buy those little squeaker shoes. Is any kind of an incentive to get him to stand up and to make the funny noises and to really work on that. But again, I, I didn't understand the lower APGAR, the, the, um, uh, the, the immune system, the immunoglobins, the bellarubin, the, the nine instead of the 10 on the APGAR. Consider that. Also, I gave him the full range of, of shots up to and including age two without understanding his immune system, how it might be different than all the other kids that are just getting rubber stamped on, on the, on the um, vaccines. I know a lot more now. I would have paid attention to individual immune systems much better. But you see a couple of nice eye pictures there where, you know, um, so the one there with the towel around him, um, 
You just don't think that anything's wrong. It, it was probably age two before we started seeing the, the lack of, uh, and maybe people saw it sooner than that, but none of my friends or neighbors had the balls to tell me, you know? It had to be a ear, nose, and throat doc when John was two. And then I did have people that said, oh yeah, we saw it, but of course they wouldn't have had the, didn't have the courage to tell me. And I get that it's an emotionally charged situation if the parents are in denial. And I have really, you know, chastised myself over the years of, I could have started sooner on interventions, but that's all water under the bridge. So, all right, let's get back to the pictures. There's one where he's uh, smiling, and that's my mom's picture, uh, my mom's hand in the picture. So, so there's some really sweet, wonderful memories of all of that. And so I'm bringing this up for you to think that if you are in the early throes of some kind of a diagnosis that's just robbed you of your joy and your peace, remember when I talked about the half of your heart? Or when um, Alma Leota told me it was a half of a circle, but I switched it to a heart. You take half of all your resources, your energy, your time, your love, your, your money, your everything, and you do everything you can to help. But remember that other half, right? That other half that says, this is a miracle. I love this child. We're gonna, this child is here for a purpose. We're going to make the most of it. This child is going gonna, is gonna to change my life forever. And it will change the family dynamics forever. And it's a blessing. And it's not an accident. So make the most of it and be joyful. It is hard to remember that when you are sleep deprived or other things are going on and, and you just, you need more help. So be sure to reach out and ask for help. Uh, don't try to be perfect. Please don't be that perfect mom. Um, and if you are having the, I never did have any of the, um, uh, the postnatal, not postnatal, what is it? The depression postnatal, when you're, um, forgive me, when you have the depression afterwards. Um, I never did have that. But uh, if you do, reach out. There's tons of mental health resources. Um, don't suffer in silence, please. All right, so then pretty soon you'll see the picture there with him. It still, still has a little belly button thing on. <laughs> so, I mean, that's less than nine days, right? <laughs> um, we, I did carry him around a lot. He, he got a lot of attention, and I nursed him until he bit me the second time. So that was at least seven, seven months uh, and a bit more. Of, of basically nothing but um, breast milk. And I ate like a boss, you know? I tried to be so careful about the nutrition, so careful about the stress, and didn't dye my hair. You can see there, <laughs> you can see lots of the gray in there. All right, so you got, you see um, um, Saxton playing with uh, tiny little John, and then dad, there's, so there's Tom, he's in heaven now, but he took great joy in the kid. Um, so that would be the, then there's a the picture with the poinsettia and the angel. So John was born at the end of uh, September. So that would be about uh, three, three and a half months there. That was, I started taking Christmas pictures of the kids. Up until, um, I think, we got heavy into the diagnosis and then I just, there's a lot of traditions that fell by the wayside. As one example, so when, um, when Saxon was a little child, I, oh my goodness, I've got feet, four feet high of scrapbooks, of, fo of photographs, of just all kinds of, of memorabilia. But when John was born, 
And then I, I, I did the same thing until the diagnosis hits and then your world just caves. So his, his scrapbooks end at about two years and then everything switches to, to video, film, photographs and Facebook posts. So he's, he's gotten really screwed on the scrapbook stuff. <laughs> Alrighty, but you, but we, I had a wonderful time. I felt so, you know, as an older mom, so very blessed to have this little kid. And I took him everywhere. Uh, we did a, he was a great little nurser. You can see him there. He's got that one eye looking up. Um, and we played and, and I, it was a lot of great memories. So please, please remember that again, if you're back and I'm just trying to remember and, and, and encourage you that, um, because fear and worry are so heavy and so big. And if, and, you know, maybe, maybe you've gotten, maybe the child is more than just four months and maybe it's a year and four months. I'm about to show you these. Well, you, you can look ahead, right? The pictures of John in that little yellow hospital suit. He has to go back into the hospital under general anesthesia because when they did the circumcision, they left a little chunk of, of uh, flesh on there. So he's just having something growing on his little wiener that we didn't want to have there forever. So we have to take him back into the hospital and his immune system took a hit for that, knocking him all under and then taking that off and then doing his version of rehealing. So here he is a bit more, he's probably more like a year and something. I'm not sure the dates of the photographs. Um, and I remember him being in the, I don't remember being under distress, like, oh God, autism, when we took him in. It was more just, here's a little kid, um, uh, just an innate, kind of an undercurrent of stress just because we, sh because of the of bad marriage. Um, but I don't remember being alarmed because of autism. Okay, or fearful for the future, right? And so part of what I'm, I know I'm belaboring this point, but I just want you to know that what I didn't know back then was that yes, when the diagnosis does come, there are so many things we can do. It's not the end of the world. You're not gonna die. There's interventions. Your child can out outperform all of those really dire predictions that the doctors will throw at you. There's TV shows about that. You know, there was a good one on recently, Speechless, and a, and a great, I just came across the YouTube of it from about four years ago. And the, the dad's talking to one of the neurotypical siblings. And the, the neurotypical sibling's complaining about something. And the dad says, oh, oh the, kid, the kid was saying, hey, don't you wish we, you could be, we could be normal? And the dad says, hey, you know what? I'll tell you, you know, what's really not important is all of the, the people's opinions, what they say about you, what they say about your family or the, ch the child with the diagnosis. He said, you know what's not, not important is the fact that they, they give you a list. They, the doctors say your kid's not going to be okay. And they give you a nice long list of all the things that he's not going to be able to do. Anyway, I'm not, I'm paraphrasing it, not doing a very good job of it, but there's lots of TV shows that show there's hope. There's interventions, there's books, there's posts, there's, my kid's a walking proof of that. Like, for example, this is the sweetest story. So today is Mother's Day, and um, I'm a single mom. Their dad's in heaven. Um, and uh, then my uh, uh, introverted college student, um, I kind of provoked the phone call today. And he's wrapped up with all of the COVID-19. I thought I was going to have a graduation, but now I'm getting screwed in the drive through stuff. So very distracted. And then John, you know, he's not going to, my little boy, he's autism spectrum. He's 
He doesn't have, he's not a pleaser. So my mother's days are basically what I make of them. And uh, I was happened to be in the, in the house looking out into the sunshine today. And I just saw this little conga line of bikes going right past the front of the house, out through the cul-de-sac and hang a left and cut through the shortcut to the park. And John was in this, and he wasn't the last kid. He had a big old grin on his face and he happened to look over at the house and I don't know whether he saw me. It just was pure coincidence that I was staring out, that I was looking out the window at the time. And big old grin on his face. And I thought, you know what? That's about as good a Mother's Day present as I could hope for. That he's out there riding his bike, no helmet, no shoes, in a posse, and just with kids that it, it's kind of growing slowly, but it's something the kids can go out and do and have some independence is riding their bikes. And they, I think they genuinely care for each other. So it's, it was just like the best kind of Mother's Day. That's the kind of, of hope that you will have, you can have with your child, but you have to intervene and you have to push and you have to stretch and you have to do the opposite of hiding. You have to get out there in their life and you have to let them be, be responsible for their own decisions and take risks and, and do your own research and negotiate with the school and do your art and your parent presentation. You got to embrace that life and get that kid out there because if they hide and then they're going to be lonely and isolated and they're not going to have friends and then it's just all going to spiral downward. So don't do that. Okay. Um, here's some pictures. I got a bazillion of them, but I thought I better quit. <laughs> and, uh, to, I, I just want to encourage you that there there was a, a part of your life before you knew your kid had a diagnosis, right? And so remember that joy. Remember that half of your heart, the half of their life, per se, that, yeah, they've got some extra challenges. You just They're just better defined than other people's challenges, and so you get on it early, get your vocabulary, let, let, you, let them understand what's going on as best you can. Give them the right words, uh, what it's called, where's the boundaries, what you can do, what you can't do. Give them that, that, that strong-willed child or love and logic. Or I mean, I'm trying to post and tag and list and share all the things that I've learned from John's early childhood. So we're approaching 13. Well, we are 13. We're approaching 14. We're getting close to puberty. Um, we're getting close to hair, lots of hair in puberty, which will be great because he's dying to get those braces and we need the testosterone to uh, back, uh, kind of back off the inflammation in the jaw. And we'll also do other biomedical things to, to help fight off the inflammation once we can finally get back to the orthodontist. So everything I'm, I'm sharing on, the, on these podcasts and the website is to give you some ideas. I cannot tell you what to do. I cannot take away the, the fear and the worry that you have, but I can give you the best shot of a roadmap that I've learned how to, to share. So consider these things. You have to make your own choices and your kid has to particularly make their own choices. But don't listen to the voices of fear and doom and gloom. Get your butt out there. Get that kid's butt out there on the bike, in the sun, going to the park, crossing midline, making friends, being proactive. No pity parties. No feeling sorry for yourself. Um, everybody's got challenges. It's just yours, your kids may be a little bit more obvious, right? But we have so much understanding of what's going on with neural pathways and sensory integration and developmental delay, that it's not a death knell. It's just what they say, delay. So make the most of it. 
what we're doing right now with the homeschooling. All right, I've shared with this uh, this with you before. John hates those damn math worksheets, right? So we're substituting something else. And today was Sunday, Mother's Day. I told him, hey, dude, you helped me get the house cleaned up. And they did. They worked on um, carpets and toilets. And we had a nice breakfast and we did our online church. And then I said, okay, dude, no list. No vitamins, no list. Just have a great day. And do those kinds of things. If, if, they, if he prefers um, uh, an application, like an app for math, we're doing several of those instead of worksheets. There's always other things to substitute for. So they don't have to hate what they do. Find something that they love that still accomplishes 95% of the same goals, the same purpose. If you have to tell the school, hey, you know what? We didn't get to all those math worksheets you sent to us, but... This is what he did on, on the elephant math, and this is what he did with math ninjas, and here's what he did, and here's the pictures of him out with the social-emotional learning and riding the bikes and being part of a posse and growing up and being responsible and making a list every day and, and still having joy. And, and whatever it is, you take your production to the school. Show them what you guys have been doing. Show them what your, how your kid has been growing. And they're early childhood experts. They know, regardless of whatever kind of oversight they have with the school district that's sucking them dry, they know that a kid basically is going to grow in one direction at a time. All right? So if it's social, emotional, and, and practical, and hand-over-hand, hand and midline crossover, and exec, executive functioning, and motor planning, and it's not times tables, okay, Right? Help them work on their expressive speech on on an essay that's you know you you support it yourself. You send it to the school. This is the best we could do. Here you go. We're not lamenting on not having enough support from the school district. I'm just telling them this is this is the best we can do. Here you go. Enjoy, <laughs> and they'll respect that. So don't let this COVID nineteen self quarantine thing make you feel like your kid's not going to be able to to learn. If he may not be, he, she, they may not be able to learn the way that they did previous to it, but there's, the world is filled with ways to learn, things to learn, adventures to take, ways to find joy in their life, to find fulfillment and purpose and joy and in the flow, which then brings them around to, why am I doing these math worksheets? Oh, that's right. It's because I need to understand my money in case I want to go out and buy some little raspberry pie thing to make um, for circuit boards, or I want to go sit on the merry-go-round or whatever it is. Help them understand the why of it, not just because you have to sit here and do these worksheets because the teacher says. Let them find their purpose with this, okay? And yeah, I know I sound Pollyanna, and yeah, I know I sound like a cheerleader, but it's working. I see it in John's life. I see it in the joy in his life. And he pretty sure tells me what he doesn't want to do. And so then I'll use humor back on him, and we'll figure out, okay, if we're going to make a change, then let's get this on paper so we understand, and go now, do it. And then I walk away. And I don't just keep renegotiating over and over. If you need to revise your plan, if you need to revise your goals, revise it and move on, okay? And, and never feel sorry for yourself. Give your, your kid's going to smell that and they're going to internalize that. And by osmosis, you're going to be giving them the worst of all possible legacies. Be proactive. Be, be joyful. Give up the life. Remember, um, welcome to... Uh, welcome to um, uh, we thought we were going to Italy. Welcome to Holland. Yeah. 
that poem, right? And I saw a post in Facebook the other day of that we have to become at peace with our unlived lives. That part of us that we thought we knew what everything was going to be happening to our life. Well, you know, all of us have pieces of our life that we're like, wait, what? That, what, that wasn't what was supposed to be. I was supposed to have all these other things to match everybody else in the world. Well, there's no everybody else in the world to match to. Your life is unique, just like your kid is unique. You got to become at peace with what you do have in your life, what you do not have in your life. And if you want more or want something different, then get out there and make it happen, okay? I'm a big proponent of being proactive and being brave. And so what's the worst thing that happens? You go out, out and you try to make something happen and it doesn't quite, but you try again and you try again. And you're modeling that for your kids. So if you have a bad day or a bad hour with John, I'll look at him, he'll look at me, and we'll both say, we need to start over. We need to try again. And so we do try again. And we agree to that. And then we get let go of all the past. And you don't wallow in guilt and shoulda, coulda, woulda, and all that. That accomplishes nothing. So I, I don't know if any of this is helping you tonight. I, it's, it's, not, it's grounded more in psychology, perhaps, than in hard science of education. But... Um, your kid wants to learn and they're trying to tell you what they want to learn and it may not fit somebody else's grand design. And so if the arts were doing it, it all correctly, they would be factoring in kids' intrinsic motivation. And so with the learning like it is right now, that's all on its ear, right? What a kid wants to do with all the self-quarantining, I see it with the kids in up and down our street, uh, the ones we're taking a few social risks with, they want to do, they, the things they want to do, they're making happen. So watch what your kids are doing. Watch what lights up their eyes. Figure out some way to integrate learning and moving forward with that. Maybe it's responsibility. Maybe it's just the 30 minutes that he seemed to spend today on the motor planning, trying to wrap the, the cord, the electrical cord of the vacuum cleaner back on its little stand. It's an upright. So it's easy enough, <laughs> hardly, to vacuum, Hardly. And then uh, to get the motor planning, to get the cord back on, that wrap around, wrap around, wrap around, hold tension, wrap around, wrap around kind of thing. I videotaped it in short snippets and it's almost all on the post for today. And it just goes on and on, but he was patient enough. And then he tried some unique ways to have it good enough and it kind of fell off. And But his brain is trying its trials. He's trying different variations to make something work. And if you see your kid trying something with at least enough patience, try again, try a slightly variation of it, try a slight variation of it again and again and again. That is developmental delay, but it is still moving forward because that's what the brain of a child is going to do is keep trying new things. And the brains of our brains, hopefully of us adult children, is that we will keep trying new things and not just sit in our old fuddy-duddy ways and our ruts and think, oh, well, the world's passed us by. I don't have hope. I don't have a chance to go out and do what I really wanted to do with my life, with my day, with my week, with my month. Wrong. Go make it happen. And... um Tell me about it. <laughs> I'll be sharing with you too. Um, peace be with you. They're here for a reason. They are here for a reason. Help them find it. And when you help them find their reason, their purpose, then you will re-find yours.
You will find it again. It's lost in sadness, in worry, in fear, in guilt, but it's still there. It just needs to have some of that goo rubbed off, and pretty soon it will be just as shiny as it was before. Okay? Peace be with you. Okay.